The subject that I want to talk about today is um, an eight-letter word. It's called judgment. Judgment. And the question, it's also the title, is do we understand judgment properly? Good question. Uh, And I, I say that I don't, or maybe I should say I would like to, and I don't practice it perfectly. So just so you'll know, when I am talking, I'm talking to me as well. But I want to talk about that, and I want to start the subject by reading Daniel 7, because this is an awesome statement that's made, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's one of the minor prophets, or right there at it. It's after the book of Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 7. We read this uh, in verse 21 and 22. Of Daniel 7, it says, verse 21, I beheld, oh, by the way, I'm reading out of the only righteous version, the King James. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just so you'll know, I'm I'm reading this out of the King James, so if you're reading out of uh, the non-inspired NIV, that's fine, or out of NASB or New King James, however you want to do it. But uh, here's what it says in the King James. It says, I beheld the same horn, made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. I would say that would be kind of like now, wouldn't it? We're having uh, the enemies uh, doing a lot of prevailing against his people. We're having, you know, uh, we're, we're in a battle. Anybody, everybody agree with that? <laughs> we're in a struggle. But then it says here in verse 22, until the ancient of days came. We're looking for that, aren't we? The return of God the Father and Jesus Christ. Till the ancient of days came, and notice this, amazing phrase, sent, sentence, rest of this sentence, Judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. That's you and me. Judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Now, a couple of things really strike me about that verse, about that that statement. Since judgment is going to be given to you and to me, He is going to need us to understand judgment. He is going to need us to be able to exercise proper judgment, right? Why would we want God to give that to us if, or why would He want to give us that responsibility if we can't do it? So, the very thought that He would appoint us judgment, you know, makes me think like, wow, I need to know how this is done. I need to be able to exercise this properly. Thankfully, judgment is not given to us yet, is it? Not yet. Although we are to have proper judgment and we are to be able to judge things. We're going to talk about that. But right now we must develop the ability to discern, this is what I think is important, to discern and know the difference between these items that I'm about to read here. We have to know and discern the difference between judging and having proper judgment. You know those aren't the same. Those aren't the same. Because we have to have, being between having proper judgment, which is actually discernment. We have to have discernment. We have to judge all things, frankly. We have to discern everything that goes on. But we can't condemn, be condemners. We can't pass sentence, right? That is what, you know, judgment, that's what a, what a judge does. And we must also be able to recognize and judge between right and wrong. I mean, we do that every day, don't we? We make decisions every day based on what we know we should do and what's right and what's wrong. Based on what? Based on what? This, right? We make all of our judgments and everything based on the Word of God. That is what we do. That is what we're supposed to do. That's what we are called to do. And we recognize that we are not to condemn one another. But we are to judge ourselves. Uh, That's kind of the synopsis. Okay, I'm done. You know, we're not to judge We're not to condemn others, but we're to judge ourselves. But we have to make proper judgments on everything. 
We have, to, we have to do that. We're going to look at some of these examples and things like that. So, guess what? Judgment is one of the basic doctrines of the church, right? Where do we find that? Where do we find the chapter that has our basic judgment, the doctrines of the church? It's Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 lays out the basic doctrines of the church. So, you know... It, it, is, it is one of them. It's a very, very important, important one. By the way, excuse me if I have to drink water a little bit. Uh, that is an aftermath of the fall. I don't know what it is. Dry mouth. But <clears throat> what does it mean to judge? Well, the word is krino, K-R-I-N-O, which means to, and here is the definition. So there's several different things. It means to distinguish, to decide. And that decision, the deciding factor can be mental, what we decide here, it's what we discern, what the decisions we make here, or it could be judicial, you know, something that comes from a judge. That is, that is what it is. It means to condemn, to try, to punish, to avenge, to uh, determine or call into question. That's what the word means. The thing is, is there anybody here that's a righteous judge? Well, I can't raise my hand. <laughs> God is the only righteous judge. And yet he is saying, We're going, I want, I'm going to give judgment to you. That is, uh, that's astounding. So uh, I believe this topic and the understanding of proper judgment is really important for us. And that we really, that we really learn it and we really get it because we are not the ones at this time to exercise or pass sentence. Are we? We all have a fault with that. I mean, I do. I, I, unfortunately, I can pass sentence. Uh, I can judge things. I have a personality like that, you know, the black and white. Everything is this and that. And, you know, that's, I, that has its downfalls and its shortcomings. And, and, you know, we are to judge situations, but that doesn't mean we have to pass sentence. Now, I'm just going to give some scriptures here. I'm going to name them, and I'm not going to turn to them. Don't be mad. I've got about four pages of sermons, so of notes, of sermon of scriptures so these are ones that show us that judgment is given to god acts ten forty two says christ is ordained to be the judge of the quick and the dead not when skeleton jesus christ is uh, psalms 98 verse 9 says he comes to judge the earth with righteousness and he shall judge the world and his people with a wonderful word with equity and god is fair we're not, usually. Psalms 96 uh, basically says he, that he comes to judge the earth and that he will judge the world in righteousness, in righteousness, and the people with uprightness. Psalms chapter 9 and verse 8. So those are just a few of the scriptures. And boy, you can really, if you go there, you'll see chain reference. You can find, uh, you know, the, that the Bible is full, full of the topic of judgment. This is you know, multifaceted, and we're just kind of catching an overview here today. But, but, you know, hopefully so that we can see how we are supposed to react. Matthew 23, 23. Turn with me to Matthew 23, 23. Because <clears throat> Jesus had something against the scribes and Pharisees. Hey, and by the way, I believe we're the modern-day Pharisees. We're like them. We, uh, we are hypocrites a lot. Uh, and, you know, that these are things that we're changing in our lives and things that we're, you know, changing in, in the direction. But in Matthew 23, 23, notice what he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. How many times did Jesus say this? He, he, oh, man, he had so many uh, uh, things to say to the Pharisees and to the scribes because, you know, they were really self-righteous and hypocrites and, you know, they, uh, they wanted the platter clean and wash the hands and everything legalistic and by the law. And yet, he says, as he goes on, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted, notice this, the weightier matters of the law. There are weightier matters. And they are judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. He wasn't saying that you shouldn't do the others. No, I mean... The, it's important, not the rituals, but I'm just saying, those are, 
uh, we are to, to follow all the principles and the laws of God, but how we do it is important. And if we don't do it with the exercising of judgment and mercy towards one another and faith, then we would be like them, wouldn't we? We would be as they are. So, you know, there is a big difference between judging, which is condemning, and having proper judgment, which is discernment. We want to talk about that. We must come, I believe, as God's people to have the spirit of wisdom and prudence which enables us to know and discern right from wrong, right? We all have to discern what is right from wrong and good from evil. Turn to, you can turn to Psalm 72. Don't, I mean, put that in your notes if you want. But you know what? There is nothing wrong with us as God's people of uh, saying a sin is a sin. And we can do that without judging and condemning. We can just state a fact. Homosexuality is a sin. Anything wrong with that statement? What would be wrong with that statement is if I was judging the person and condemning them, right? But I can state a fact about a sin, adultery, theft. We can all state what we know, and we all analyze that in our mind. And we make a judgment on it. And when we see each other and others stumbling, we discern and determine, you know, what's right from wrong. We always have to do that. But it doesn't mean that we have to condemn and judge others. We have to be really careful of that. That belongs to God, Jesus Christ, and them only. When we begin condemning and judging you know, passing sentence, you know, like, burn them till they, nuke them till they glow, or, you know, we, we have some of these other statements that we have, you know, about sinners. Um, whenever we point a finger, what do we got pointing back at us? Three fingers. Just remember, we're to judge ourselves. Uh, and though we are to determine right from wrong, and determine we're not going to do that, when we see others, instead of condemning them, what should we do? Pray for them. Pray for them. And we're going to see the mindset of Jesus Christ because he leads us and shows us how, how that is to be done, how he wants us to do that. And, and whenever we condemn and we pass sentence on someone who is sinning, then we have stepped be out of our realm and we've stepped into the role of the judge, which is Jesus Christ and the Father. And we, in essence, supersede their role. Don't want to do that. And it is, uh, you know, that's saved for them. Romans chapter 2 says this. Romans chapter 2. Verse 1. Romans 2, 1 says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judges. Condemns. Pass a sentence. Whosoever you are that judges, for therein... For wherein you condemn or judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge do the same things. So here's the thing, you know, um, anybody here without sin? No, none of us are. So we're not to judge. We're not to pass, you know, pass sentence. We get that? We, 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 we see what's going on with this? There is a requirement that we judge all things, make judgments about them. And we can condemn a sin in our minds. We're not going to do that, but we don't condemn the person. We don't condemn each other. Those are things. Remember, judgment is going to be given to us. How are we going to exercise it? How are we going to implement it? Are we going to do it letter of the law, by the book, nuke them till they glow? Or are we going to have judgment, mercy, and faith in the way we do that? So he says here, you know, you are inexcusable, O oh man, you that judge. <clears throat> says, um, you condemn your, in the things wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you, uh, for you that judge, do the same thing. But we are sure 
that the judgment of God is according to truth. That's the way ours should be too, that our judgments should be according to truth, that we don't condemn each other. Against them which commit such things. So you know, frankly, when it comes to the subject of judgment, it takes having compassion to help others instead of condemning them. Instead of judging others, maybe, and condemning others and wanting to jump on others, maybe we should respond with this. What can I do to help them? What can I do to help them? That's that's harder. But it does take, it does require for us that we know when to stand on the principles of God. We have to do that always. Always. Personally, individually, even when others around us are not. Man, I see that all over the, all over the country. <laughs> I see that in the government. I see that in the workplace. I see that in the schools. Unfortunately, I see some of that going on in God's church too. But we need to stand for the principles of God uh, always, even when others around us do not but we don't have to condemn them for it. Now, there is a scripture in James, because I think this is an important thought about it. I believe it's James. This wasn't in my notes. Let's see. I think it's the last chapter of James. I think this should be our heart when it comes to, um, to when we see others stumble and we, instead of condemning them and saying, well, that dirty neighbor of mine is committing adultery or my brother here is, you know, doing this or doing that, that we, that we do what James 5.20 says, which is, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, <clears throat> If we are going to convert a sinner, the first thing we recognize is a sin. We, we notice that, right? We recognize that. We recognize a sin. So we're not going to condemn them. We're going to do whatever we can to encourage them and help them. Because is there anybody that we don't want in the kingdom? No. We want, we want everybody to repent, to change. And, uh, you know, we need to be looking at ourselves and not at everybody else when it comes to this and make sure that we are in good stead with God. You know, He is going to look at us and four, thing, four things are going to determine uh, our relationship with God and what He views us. And that is, we're going to give account based on what the Scripture says and how we've lived our life, right? Number two, what we have believed about the Scripture Just because we read it doesn't mean we always do it. Just because we read it doesn't mean we always agree with it. Isn't that where sin comes in? We know it, but we still sin. So what we have believed about it, and thirdly, what we have done about it. What we have done, and probably and maybe the most important, is what have we taught others? What have we taught others about it? So, you know, there's, uh, boy, this judgment you know, judgment be first, must first begin at the house of God. And by the way, judgment is on us. You know, ju- we are being judged by God right now. Um, you know, when it says we, all, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God, I don't think it's there that we, you know, receive, um, you know, the penalties and all of that. I think we stand in the beam of there to receive rewards. Judgment's on us now. We won't be there if, you know, if we, if we haven't, you know, follow God. We won't be there to receive rewards. So, uh, you know, judgment's on us at this time. Uh, James chapter 2. Oh, by the way, put Romans 14 down. A great chapter. A great chapter, but uh, not one that we have time to cover. James chapter 2. James 2 and verse 10. Very condemning words here, very revealing, a very revealing concept here in verse 10. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, 
he is guilty of all. For he that says, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you will become a transgressor of the law. We, we know that. That's why we're very careful not to point our fingers at others. Because we recognize that, well, they may be stumbling here, but I know where I stumble. Everybody know your weak points? We know where we stumble. And that is, uh, you know, that's, that is what should humble us and cause us not to judge others, but to try to help, uh, but also to help us recognize that, hey, we have all, we're, we're all in the same boat. You know, Isaiah 62, or 66 too, uh, you know, uh, this is, the, to him will I look that is humble and a contrite spirit and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, worships me. I, actually, I need to read that because I don't want to misquote it. Isaiah 66 too. Verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Wherein is the house that you will build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things has my hand made, and all these things have been, says the Eternal. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit and trembles at my word. That puts us all, you know, Last time I checked, we're all on the footstool. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. We're all on the same plane. And he is looking for us to be men and women, young men and women, old men and women, those who are humble and contrite and tremble at his words and want to follow what he, what he says. So where, we're, where, where we were reading here in James chapter 2, one more verse to go on that. Verse tw- oh, two more. Verse 12 says, So speak you and do you as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy. I think that's an important thought. And mercy rejoices against judgment. Yay! <laughs> There's hope for us. <laughs> There's hope for us. Uh, and, you know, that is just really, really an, an awesome, awesome scripture. Uh, verse 16 uh, of, uh, no, it's not James 2. Well, we'll just skip that. Um, so, knowing that what this verse says, that mercy rejoices against judgment, let's look at the way Jesus Christ conducted himself. Now, we know he is uh, going to give judgment to us. And we know that he is judging the world and he's doing it in righteousness and there's a way that he does it. And I believe it's the way that we, as his people, need to, do, need to be as well. Let's look at his approach. Turn with me to uh, John chapter 12. John 12. Let's read some astounding words of Jesus Christ. In verse 44, it says, Jesus cried and said, He that believes on me, uh, believes on me, believes not on me, but on him that sent me. We know what that means. And he that sees me, sees him that sent me. I am become a light into the world, and whosoever believes on me shall not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not, notice it, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Do you think he's going to misjudge the world? No, I think he's going to properly judge the world in righteousness. And he's going to straighten everything out, everything that's wrong. He's going to, he's going to do that. But he's going to do it with mercy. And he's going to be, uh, you know, one who will, will save the world. I came not to condemn the world. I came to save the world. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I don't judge him. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. It's not an excuse. 
He did not come to condemn us. He came to save us. So how does that work? How does that work for us as, as God's people? Uh, John 3, 20, uh, John 3 read, let's read this. Verse basically says the same thing. John chapter 3, verse 16. I didn't think that was right. I'm in chapter 4. All right, verse, verse 16, chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. But I tell you, God has righteous judgment. And he has proper discernment. But he didn't come to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. What everybody needs is God's Spirit. Understand Scripture so that they can begin changing and turning to him. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not on him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's a sad thing when people don't like light. It's a sad thing when people don't love what we have. (laughs) The truth. Man, we are so blessed to know you know, understand the things of God. And I don't understand why everybody doesn't love it like we do. But then I know he hasn't called everybody. Verse 20, for everyone that does evil uh, hates the light and neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be revealed. But he that does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. You know, you know, what are we talking about here? He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And, you know, there are other scriptures. Now, one, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. There are two scriptures that I believe you and I, on the subject of judgment, need to conduct our lives after these two scriptures. One of them is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Wynn Skelton needs to adopt this principle. Verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the mind of Jesus Christ. That's the mind of God the Father. He does not want anybody to perish. He wants... Everybody to repent. You know, forsake their, their ways and turn to Him. That, that is, isn't that way, the way we should be? We should want that for everybody? Uh, and, you know, is that not the way that we should direct our thoughts and the way we do things? The other scripture is 1 Timothy chapter, uh, one, uh, chapter 2, 1 Timothy 2. And we'll read, uh, let's see, 1 through 4. First Timothy 2.1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. I don't see much condemnation in that, do you? You can't be condemning when you're praying for somebody and, you know, you know, and, and, and offering and giving thanks, being made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. Oh, we want to judge the king. We want to pass sentence on the king. You know, what a dirty guy he is. That we may lead for kings and for all that are, all that are in authority. You know, I, we need to button our lips about the way we speak about others because we can be condemning and judging. So we need to be careful about that. What is it our mommies and daddies always said? If you can't say something good about somebody, don't say anything at all. 
I love that. It's the way we should be. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and, and honesty. For this is a good, good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Oh, I want to do those good and acceptable things. Verse 4, notice this. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. I love that. We as individuals must stand firm personally in our beliefs and our convictions. But boy, do we need to show a lot of mercy, compassion, judgment, because we too should want all men saved. And that should motivate us. That should be the motivation that we have. And this judging thing that we all have, we just got to get rid of it because... We're going to be given judgment and God is going to expect us to exercise it correctly to all people. So, I have work to do on that, just letting you know. Because we we should want everybody saved to repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, two examples as I kind of wind up here. Turn with me to John chapter 11. Nothing, nothing better than examples, right? Because through examples, we kind of learn, uh, you know, learn the lesson. Uh, let's see, I'm sorry, John, uh, John chapter 8. I'm, excuse me. We have here in John chapter 8 the story of the woman caught in adultery. Remember this story? You know, I've often wondered why it is that they didn't bring the man to. Why is that? But they brought the woman. And let's read this. Verse 1 says, And every man uh, went his, went his own house. And Jesus went up on the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, there they are again, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, This woman was taken in adultery, and in the very act, again I ask, where's the man? And now Moses Moses in the law, okay, now they're going to start spouting scripture, commanded us that uh, that such should be stoned, but what do you say? So my question to you is, how would you have judged it? Letter of the law, or with uh, mercy and faith and little, you know, that that side of it. This they said, verse 6, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. And we understand that. You know, they were trying to catch him and, you know, catch him and they wanted to get rid of him. So they were doing everything they could in every way they could. That they might accuse him. But Jesus uh, stooped down. Didn't answer. He just stooped down and wrote on the ground as though he didn't even hear him. I've often wanted to know what it is he wrote. I wonder if he was writing the names of all those guys and their sins, you know. La, 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 you know, uh, high priest, da, da, da. Uh, John Doe was with, what's her name, two nights ago. You know, those kind of things. He's writing. <clears throat> So when they continued asking him, he, he stood up himself and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you cast the first stone. Wow. And again, he stooped down on the ground and began writing whatever it is he's writing. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. How would we have judged it? What would we say now? They're all gone and you're standing there with the woman. What would you say? Well, let's see what he said. Jesus, um, you know, he, uh, he says, verse 10, um, he, 
Jesus, when Jesus had stood up and saw none of but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Wow. Go and sin no more. Very wonderful admonition. Go and sin no more. And neither do I condemn you. Will we have judged it that way? Uh, I, can give you, um, I can give you all of the verses that, that the scribes would have turned to, you know, in the Old Testament. We could, we could go through all those. But we, would we have judged this the same way? Um, what was Jesus concerned about with her? What should we be concerned about with others when they are transgressing? Knowing that we are making judgments in our own mind of what we know we should do right and wrong. What, what did he want? What was he after in the end result? He wanted her saved. He didn't want her dead. He wanted her saved. He wanted her, he wanted this to be a good teaching lesson for her. It sure is a good one for us, isn't it? A good teaching tool. He didn't condemn her. He didn't pass sentence. Did he negate the law? Absolutely not. He exercised the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. He didn't he didn't say, oh, it's all right, well, you know, go ahead and continue in your sin. No, he said, go and sin no more, but I don't condemn you. He was exercising judgment, mercy, and faith. I believe that's what we're to do. It doesn't mean that we don't stand firm on the principles of God. We have to. But do we have to condemn others who stumble? Or are we going to help them, have mercy on them, pray for them, and maybe show them a better way and try to help? Remember, judgment's going to be given to us. He said, you know what you did, miss, was wrong. It was a sin. It was a transgression of the law, one of the commandments. He recognized that. He said it. He knew it. But he said, go and sin no more. I want him to tell me that, too. Don't you? I want him to have mercy on me. Don't you want mercy on you? Absolutely we do. We want him to be merciful to us. He didn't have the approach, which, you know, maybe Wynn would have had, which is, you miserable little adulteress. Now we're going to squash you into a billion pieces. You made a mistake, baby. Now you're going to pay. Do we not have that attitude sometimes? Yeah, we do. But he exercised 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 2 Peter chapter 3. It is through him, by the way, that we have forgiveness, redemption, and forgiveness. And he wants us to be that way as as well. I need to develop the heart that Christ had. Don't, don't you think we all need that? Absolutely, we do. Uh, and, and we need to, to be those who will not pass sentence, we will help. It isn't our job to condemn. Hey, the end of Revelation says, I'll, I'll read this, Revelation chapter 22. There comes a point, by the way, nobody is lost completely until this point, okay? Okay. He gives us ample time to repent and to change. He gives every, he's going to give everybody, by the way, just because we are first fruits doesn't mean he isn't going to call and give everybody else an opportunity. He's a fair God. He's not partial. Everybody's going to have the opportunity like we've had. There will be a point, Matthew 22, verse 11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. 
he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. There'll come a point, but he's going to determine when that is. I don't. And when that time comes, I want to be the righteous and the holy part, you know. I, I, don't, I, I want his mercy and I want him to, to be merciful to me. But people aren't going to stand before the judgment seat of Wynn Skelton. I would not be fair. I need to learn it because I know judgment's going to be given to me. It's going to be given to all of us. But they will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. We need mercy and compassion like Jesus had. But do not be afraid to stand up against sin and say and label it for what it is. I am not going to be afraid to say adultery is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, stealing is wrong, lying is wrong. I'm going to say those things. I'm going to stand up and say that. Now, there are those who would say, if you say that homosexuality is wrong, that you're judging me. No, I'm not. What am I doing? I'm judging that it's a sin. I'm not condemning them. I am labeling it for what the Bible says it is. We must do that. But I don't have to condemn. And then I should labor in every way that I can to help that person come to the understanding that what they're doing is wrong. Have mercy on them. Who do we extend mercy to? Well, we need to extend it and we need to have compassion on everybody. But mercy is extended to repenters mostly, right? I'm not going to extend mercy and accept sin in the church, okay? That's not being, that's, I, I, that is compromising. I will not do that. Uh, I know we're going to be faced with things in years to come uh, like we've never been faced with before in our congregations. Things are going to come in. And we're going to have to help people. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to compromise anything that's the truth. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Well, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, Romans chapter 1. Identify, and there's, there are other verses, identify that it's a sin. And not only that, in Leviticus 20, God calls it an abomination. I mean, it, does, it just goes so against everything that God has, has made. And I'm not going to get on them anymore on that subject or, you know, go, go, go on to that in, uh, you know, this is not, that'd be a different sermon. That's, that's something that you, I am going to label homosexuality for what it is. It's a sin. I am not going to condemn the person. The scripture already condemns them. I don't need to. The, the scripture already judges them. I don't need to. What do I need to do? How can I help? I need to pray for them and I need to help, help them. We're going to have judgment. and You know, we may get that John 8 thing come to us one of these days. How are you going to take care of it? How are you going to handle it? Uh, what are you going to, uh, how are you going to help homosexuals? What does the scripture say about the sanctity of marriage? Man, Genesis 2, Matthew 19, Ephesians 5, Malachi 2. Bible labels it. It tells us exactly. Man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. It does not say that man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his boyfriend. Does it? And it does not say that a woman shall leave her father and mother and be joined to her girlfriend. Bible identifies those things. Our attitudes and minds about it is, what does Scripture say? Uh, I'm, I'm being very black and white about what Scripture says. But I will not condemn people. I'm going to love them. We, we are to hate the sin and love the sinner. You know what? I need that for me because I've got three fingers pointing back at me. When you're a sinner. I need love. I need forgiveness. I need, I need you to help me. We all need to help each other, and we all need to help everybody. And we do it by standing on the princi principles of God and exercising what Jesus 
I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world should be our direction. Okay, here's a couple of more. I'll just throw these out. I'm not going to turn there. How would you have judged David and Bathsheba? Huh? How would you have, have judged that? How would you have judged that? What about David eating showbread, which was not allowed, but he did it? Would we have judged David as an ugly pear tree, you know, ugly, bent, and twisted? He had a bad day, no doubt about it. I bet you when Uriah is resurrected, there will be some hugging and some tears, don't you think? Just saying. It was an ugly day in David's life. You ever had any ugly days? Yet God was merciful to him. And David was able to read Psalms 50, 51. What a beautiful psalm. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, attitude that he had, man after God's own, own heart. We have a lot of great controversies in the church. How are you going to judge this? How to observe the Sabbath. You going to go out to eat or not? That's a big controversy, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it brews. Some people won't go out to eat on the Sabbath day. Others will. You going to judge them for going? What if you go out? Are you going to judge those who don't go out? I'm going to tell you a story, briefly. We had a situation uh, I was, uh, when I was pastoring in Dallas where we had a lady, and I would say she's tender, you know, in the years. Not, um, she was very dedicated to truth. And she wouldn't go out to eat on the Sabbath. So that particular day, she brought food for the potluck, and others brought a few things. And, you know, while we're there, we're all saying, hey, let's just go over to, you know, Pablo Juan's or whatever. I can't remember what the restaurant was. And let's go out to eat. You know what we did? I hate this. We went. She didn't come back to church after that. We offended her. That's how serious these things can be. What should I have done? We should have, we, would, we, we all wanted to go. You know what I should have said? Nah, let's just stay here, right? We wouldn't have offended her. These are the things that we face. Two great things in the church, eating out on the Sabbath, and the other is music. Music is a volatile topic. Man, is it ever. We get controversy over what songs we sing at church. We get controversy over special music. Okay, I'm not saying we should have done this, but one year in Church of God, Big Sandy, <clears throat> um, we had a guest come down from Kansas, and he was a mandolin player, and we had several of us that played kind of bluegrass kind of music. So you know what we did for special music? Don't throw tomatoes at me. We sang All Fly Away. And people got up and laughed. It happens. Oh, they came back in for the sermon, but you know, you know, you learn a few things there. You don't want got to be real careful. I was hoping in that that they were just mad, didn't like the song, they weren't condemning us, you know. But we have this. We have this, all of this that goes on, this judging and this condemning and we want to pass sentence on people and, you know, we want to, you know, nuke them till they glow if they do something we don't like and, and judgment is going to be given to us. How are we going to be? How are we going to do the things? We all are going to have to appear, you know, before the judgment seat. The seat. And those are, those are just a couple of things. All right, so have I kind of beat this to death? All right, so let's end with two scriptures. Did I say I was going to end with two scriptures before? Two thought. Two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. What I want us to leave here today with is this. 
Judgment's going to be given to us. Will we judge righteously and godly? And then how we exercise that, and we, I hope we, we will, we'll all think about that. This kind of goes to verse 5, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, kind of goes to the one I read there in Revelation, which says, Therefore judge nothing before the time. People will change if we help them. God will be merciful. But if we nuke them till they glow, what opportunity do they have if we condemn them? If we condemn all those who sin, if we condemned each other, there wouldn't be a church. Judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord come, who will bring? No. Now this is really like, instead of three fingers pointing at me, I've got ten pointing at me. Who will bring to light the hidden things? Anybody want their hidden things exposed? Judge ourselves. Let's judge ourselves. Let's get ourselves straightened up. So that we can then have righteous judgment towards and for the whole world and all those. Who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart And then every man shall have praise of God. Amen. We're going to judge nothing before the time. He is going to bring, we're all going to stand before him. Everything is going to be revealed. There isn't going to be anything hidden. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. Do you? Of course we don't. Of course we don't. And I want to end over here in the Old Testament Ecclesiastes. It's after the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Verse 13 and 14, as we close here, says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. You know, kind of summarize things here. The conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Amen. Fear God and keep His commandments. For God shall bring every work into judgment. Amen. He will for us. And every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We recognize that. All of our secret things are going to be revealed. And judgment is going to be given to us, God's people, the saints. And we sure need, don't you think, to know how to do it correctly. Let's exercise proper judgment. Let's have love and mercy. Let's practice judgment, mercy, and faith. Let's follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we do that, then He will help us, I know, figure out exactly how it is that we are to judge righteous judgment. Thank you for the opportunity to be here.